Today, we're going to be talking about an overview of spiritual warfare, actually, as we move into the last part of Ephesians chapter 6. So I'll tell you what I said to the Lord when we were mapping this out on the calendar, and I said, man, spiritual warfare is going to hit right at Christmas time. That feels counterintuitive. Um, but the Lord was up to something, and I will tell you that Jesus coming to the earth was actually one of the most you know, dynamic actions of spiritual warfare that has ever happened. So I thought, well, okay, Lord, you, you win, right? We get to talk about baby Jesus and spiritual warfare all at the same time. Um, but we're not going to dive into the Ephesians 6 text today because I want to give you an overview of what spiritual warfare even is and why it even happens and kind of answer some of those questions before we dive into what are the resources and the tools that Paul gave us in these verses in the end of chapter 6. So that's what we're doing today. So we've got two declarations that I want you to apply in your heart as we look at spiritual warfare. And the first one is this, Jesus is bigger. So everybody repeat after me, Jesus is bigger. Thank you. All right, so when we approach anything that has to do with spiritual warfare, you have to keep it in the forefront of your mind. Jesus is bigger because when we are not focused on Jesus, we end up exaggerating the enemy. We end up focusing, let me put it this way, anything you stare at too long becomes really big. If I put a, took a picture of a quarter and the only thing in the picture was a quarter, it would feel really large. If I hold up a quarter to you right now, it feels really small, right? So we have to approach anything with spiritual warfare coming into it with the lens that Jesus is bigger. And the second declaration is this. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. There truly is no fear of the enemy that is valid or needed at all. Okay, we have fear of the Lord, and that's it. In the presence of God, it is his perfect love that casts out fear. So anytime you are feeling afraid of a power that the enemy has against you, something is wrong with your picture of God. Okay, that's a good way to check it. I do this with myself all the time. When I start to feel afraid of, you know, like if you're married or if you have kids, it's a very common fear. Like what's, what am, what's gonna happen if I lose one of these people I love so much? And so when we look at that fear and we don't put it into Jesus, then that fear becomes exaggerated, right? We have to look and say, no, Lord, in you there is no reason to fear. There is only perfect trust and love. You guys tracking with me? So we have nothing to fear. I want to tell you a story that um, really wrecked me. So I'm sorry, but it's a, it's a good wrecking. Um, when I was in college, I went on this mission trip to Juarez, Mexico. And on this mission trip, somebody told me this story. And it was the story of a man who was a great man of God. And he was having a bad dream. And he woke up in the middle of the dream. And he saw a demon sitting at the foot of his bed. And he said, and I quote, oh, it's you. And he fell back asleep. When I heard that story, my mind exploded. I could not sleep that night. It was just constantly like, how? How is that possible? How is he not afraid? How was he just so indifferent towards it? How did he go back to sleep? How did he not wake up a million times? Why didn't he say anything? I just, you know, ah, I was freaking out. I had never considered that in God there was a place of peace that was that big. So I tell you that story not to freak you out, but to say if that's alarming to you, then God wants to raise your awareness of him. Because what happened in me was after that dream, it was like a four-year journey of, you know, learning about the bigness of God. And I'm still on that journey. God is still getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was a long time ago. 
I remember around that same time period, the Lord was awakening my discernment gifting, and in the midst of that, the enemy went on the offensive and was trying so hard to plant so many seeds of fear. And if you're a discerning person, you know what that's like. It's like all of a sudden you become aware of the power of the enemy, and sometimes it feels like that's a more valid power than the power that God has because sometimes we're not as aware of the way the Lord is protecting us, right? We don't feel it as tangibly in our heart. And so I went on this journey where I wanted to learn every single thing I could learn about the enemy. Like, like there's a term for it. It's called demonology. And I was like all about it. I read all the books. Like, what is Jezebel and how does it work? And how can I spot that in somebody? And what is witchcraft and how is that? And what is religion? And I could go on and on and on. And this was a several years journey. And I remember one day spending time with the Lord and God said to me, he said, Rachel, I want to bring you into how I view spiritual warfare. I thought, well, Lord, I, I thought I was doing that. Isn't that what these last five years have been about? And he said, yeah, that's okay. And there's a place for that. But he said, I want to bring you higher. I want to bring you the way that I see all of this happening. And that was about seven or eight years ago. And I've been on this journey since then where the Lord was just debunking every fear that I had. Now, not necessarily debunking what I had learned, but why I had learned it. And what I had discovered in myself was there's this almost like self-preservation type thing. Like if I can learn all the things the enemy does, then I can trust myself to stay out of him. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. If I can learn everything about what Jezebel does and doesn't do, then I can know, oh, that's Jezebel. Come on over here. But what if God is saying, I want you to be next to that person for a minute and I'm bigger than that person. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why we have to make sure that Jesus is bigger and we have nothing to fear is always the way we approach anything about spiritual warfare. But I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I used to wonder, and I have wondered, why is there even a war? Like, what, like sometimes people will say to you, oh, there is no war. Like, God is so big. And let me just be really clear. When the enemy was cast out of heaven, this was not an epic battle. This wasn't like a, the forces were clashing and the underdog God, was he going to win? I don't know. And then he pulls it out the last end. This was not that story. God is so powerful that, like, in an, it's over. Do you understand? It's like um, Thanos. Can I just go there for a second? It's like Thanos, okay, Infinity War. That's how powerful God is, okay? In a hot second, he can end any battle you're facing right now. Well, now, wait a minute, Lord. If that's true, then why am I even in this battle? Okay, that's what we're diving into today. So I want to introduce you to two books you may or may not have heard of. This one these are by Dr. Michael Heiser. He is the resident scholar at the Logo Bible Software Program, if you're familiar with that Bible program. Um, he's a great theologian, and this is called The Unseen Realm. This is 51 chapters, and it is a lot of book, okay? Um, I did this on Audible, and it was 16 hours of reading, so this is meaty. But I want to give you a teaser because we're actually going to do a book study on this in January. So if you need to add this to your Christmas list, you can add either this one, The Unseen Realm, or you can add this one. Sweet Michael Heiser wrote a smaller version for those that aren't as interested in the deep theologicalness. This is Grant's back there doing the glory wave. Um, this is the one we're actually going to be doing. It's called Supernatural, What the Bible Teaches About the Unseen World and Why It Matters. This is the most theologically sound look at the heavenly realms I've ever experienced. I've been a part of teachings with open heaven lifestyle kind of stuff like we've been talking about the last couple of months for years. And I can tell you, if you're interested in that at all, this book is for you. It is the most grounded theological approach I've ever seen, and it has been so helpful to me. So um, we're not going to actually preach about anything more than today. 
today um, about this. We're going to do a book study on it. But if you're interested at all, Supernatural, if you're a hyper nerd like me, the unseen realm is for you. Um, yeah. So there's a little plug for you about that. That's coming. Dr. Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. So he is awesome. He actually has a podcast called The Naked Bible. Um, and start with where he says to start, because his approach to the Bible is probably something you've never heard of before, but it's awesome. So what I'm going to talk about today is, is all the answers to the questions that come up in you are found in these books, okay? So just know that. I wouldn't say it to you if I didn't have 100% conviction in my soul that this was true. So you don't have to agree with me. I tell you guys that all the time. I'm going to say some things that are probably going to be weird to you, and that's okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Buckle up. We're ready. Did you know that God has a family in heaven in the same way he has a family on earth? We all should understand we are the family of God on earth, right? We are adopted by him. But did you know there is something called the sons of God in the Bible that are heavenly beings that God created as his family? Well, now that's weird. I thought I was the family of God. We don't get to know why, but we know at some point these, what is called the sons of God, there's several references in the Old Testament to this, that these beings, these gods, lesser gods is what they're actually called in the Old Testament and in Hebrew, they rebelled. They just decided they didn't want to like God anymore. They didn't like Yahweh. They didn't want to do his thing, and they rebelled. We don't know why. We just know it happened. So I want to show you a couple of verses. Psalm 82, verse 1. It's going to be on here. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Well, now that's weird. I thought I had read all the Psalms and not discovered something as strange as that. But there it is, plain as day. That's the ESV. Let's look at Exodus 20, verse 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words. This is the Ten Commandments. First commandment, remember? God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, God knows when he speaks, right? So if there were not actually other gods receiving worship, why would he give you that commandment? Historically and archaeologically, we know that the, the ancient people would make little, um, actually in some Eastern cultures, they're still doing it, but they would make little shrines and little like idols. You familiar with this? And they would have a nose, and some of them would have a mouth. And they believed that when they would approach these little wooden figurines, that those figurines would then receive the manifestation of that God's power in them. So when the Bible is talking about idols all through the Old Testament, even though there is, these are worthless wood is what Paul talks about them. These are like, they're nothing. They're just trinkets. The context that the ancient people understood was that they were worthless wood until they became, they received the indwelling presence of whatever God they were worshiping. Okay. I'm going to pull all of this together, so don't worry, but it's going to take me a minute. So there are other gods. They're called sons of gods. This is in the Bible. Again, we don't know why a rebellion happened, but we know it happened. Let's look at Psalm 82, 6 and 7. It says this, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High. This is God speaking, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. What this is talking about, the whole psalm is really an ode to these fallen sons of God. And God's judgment for their rebellion was that they would then die like men. They will no longer be eternal beings. Okay? All right. I know you guys are like, I came here to worship Jesus, and this is weird, but I promise it'll make sense. All right. So, we are in a spiritual war. 
Okay? We're going to come back to what happened with that in just a second. I want us to look at the roots of our war. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that the Garden of Eden? And I would suggest to you maybe it's not quite the Garden of Eden, although that was the beginning of when sin entered the world. We know sin continued to enter the world at many different times, right? We're going to look at the Tower of Babel. Okay? We're going to go to Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. We're going to look at what happened in the Tower of Babel, and I want you to read this understanding that this is essentially the beginning of the war we're all in right now. Here we go. Now, oh, let me say one thing before we read this. In chapter 10 of Genesis, there's a whole genealogy thing about all the different tribes. This is Noah and his family who survived the flood and their family that populated the earth. Okay? So that's, that's like the backstory. If you want to go back later in your own study, you can look at that. But this is after that. So Noah's family has repopulated the earth. There's a bunch of people, and then this happens. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city. Wait, hold up. What? Read this again. And the Lord came down to see the city. This is epic. And the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. Back up a second. Come, let us go down. Here we see the same terminology that God is sitting in a divine council of other gods. It's very strange. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language and so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, it, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. This is the same moment. This is Moses talking about that moment. And he said, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. So let me give you an overview of what's happening. Again, if you have questions, this book, okay? God sees the people are going off course. They don't want to worship him. They're all his people. They're done with him, and he's sort of done with them. Can God be done with people? Well, he actually feels that way multiple times in the Old Testament if you've read it. And so he goes, listen, I'm going to disperse them all. And Deuteronomy tells us that when he did that, he actually gave them over to lesser gods. What? He disinherited his people. And then he gave, the, like the punishment basically was that now I'm giving you this lesser God to worship. And then what did he do? He goes to Babylon and he selects out of the heart of Babylon one man named Abraham. And he pulls Abraham out and he says, through you, I'm going to make a people. I'm going to make my people, my portion. And so Israel, as God Deuteronomy tells us, that the Lord mapped out how these tribes were going to go. In other versions, it says, not other versions, in other places in the Bible, it talks about 70 different nations and tribes that God did. Okay, so he selects Israel. Israel is Yahweh's portion of this whole thing. And the people, Israel, are his inheritance. Are you guys tracking with me? There's an underlying story, I believe, is happening here where these other lesser gods thought he's completely done with these people, now they're ours. But I would suggest to you what we know about God is that he was never truly done with the people. 
he was enacting a different plan. Through Israel, he began to reveal himself. He began to show who he really is. And then he taught them how his, what his ways are and how to walk with them. You guys tracking with me? And all along, his plan was to bring a little baby named Jesus into this earth. Here's an interesting thing to note. All throughout history, when God would, he would come. He came in Babylon. He would come. And his manifest presence would be physically, like, visible. You guys remember this? When he comes to give the Ten Commandments, all the people can see it. They're freaked out. Moses goes and spends time with God. The manifest presence come, and they're all like, you do that. We're okay over here. The manifest presence of God is on the mountain. All the while, the people are smelting gold to make a cow to worship. This is crazy, right? But the Lord learned something through all of that. I think he knew it all along. But what he discovered is that humans cannot stay loyal to God without a constant manifest presence. So he hid, Ephesians 4 tells us, this is the mystery that he hid. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He hid this plan from everybody. Only the Lord God knew this plan. This is what Ephesians tells us, that all the peoples actually belong to Yahweh. Even though they were momentarily, over several centuries, given to these lesser gods, that there would come a point when Jesus would come and he would die on the cross, and that when that happened, when he resurrected, now the indwelling presence, the manifest presence of God would be in us so that we could constantly stay loyal to him. Are you guys tracking with this? This is crazy, okay? Now, here, like, okay. If the enemy knew that that was going to happen at the cross, he would never have killed Jesus, right? We now have the upper hand. Here's what Ephesians 2 tells us. I don't have a slide for this, I don't think, but it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authority and heavenly places. So here's what happened at the resurrection. You were put into Jesus. Jesus was ascended above all the other powers, all the other lesser gods. Now you are actually in him over them. And all literal hell broke loose. Because now these lesser gods who thought Well, when the end comes, I'll die like a man. Now they realize the indwelling manifestation of Jesus that is in you right now is able to dethrone anything they throw at you. Okay, it's getting good. (laughs) So the war that we're having is a war about relationships. Okay, here's what it looks like. Babel happens. God disinherits the people. Jesus happens. The cross happens. The resurrection happens. He makes a way to now re-inherit all those people. Here's something I bet you've never seen before. At Pentecost, one of the first things that happens after the resurrection, I get goosebumps every time I think about this. All the tongues that the people started speaking in, did you know those are the languages that God gave at Babel? Listen, guys, one of the first things God did was let me put this message of hope and reconciliation into your language that I confused from the beginning. Why would he do that? Because he knew all along the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Every single person on the face of the earth belongs to God. They just don't know it yet. So the resurrection happens. Pentecost happens. This is so good. Paul. When Paul received his missionary journey call, okay, if you look at the countries that he went to, do you want to know what countries he went to? You guessed it. 
the ones that were divided, the lines that were divided of the 70 nations that God dispersed in Deuteronomy 32. The names had changed, but if you trace it back in history, it's the same. Do you remember how Paul had to get to Macedonia? If you read the New Testament, he's like, every time he gets thwarted and he's like, I can't die until I get to Macedonia, which is now Spain, because it was the last on the list that had not heard the gospel from Genesis 11. Isn't that amazing? So we understand his fervor. His fervor was like the people need to be reclaimed to their God. They are worshiping gods that are lesser, that cannot help them, that only want glory for themselves. Did you know that Jesus is the only God in the history of the world who wants nothing from you? Nothing. If you've studied otherworldly religions at all, you will find there's something you have to do. There's some hoop you got to jump through, some weird thing you got to do to get the approval of that God. Hinduism has like 3,000-something gods. You're doomed from day one. How can you even know them all, right? But Jesus is the only one that says, listen, I don't even need you to do anything but say yes. That's all you have to do. So Paul goes on this missionary journey. You can see this theme happening, that the reclaiming of the disinherited people is the number one thing on God's mind. It happens today in America with people who don't know him, and it happens today like in the northern Sintelese people, which just got taken center stage by a man, a young man named John Allen Cho. Are you guys familiar with this story that happened? He was martyred, I think it was like last week. In fact, the sending agency that he was sent from is the one that was created by our dear friends Floyd and Sally McClung, who we've been praying for. Floyd had a a really crazy health situation that he's still battling a couple years ago. This man was not an irrational man. This man was not a young millennial looking for an adventure. If you want to know the real story, he was actually, he spent almost two or three years preparing to go to these people. He took EMT training. He took sports medicine training. He took language training. He was ready to go be integrated into this tribe to help them. He took several vaccines over months, and then he was quarantined for a certain amount of time so that he could go and not wipe them all out just by his own immunities. And so when he went for the first time and he was having these arrows slung at him, if you know this story at all, this is what happened. They were warning shots from the northern Sinhalese people. These people have never had an outsider come in. They are one of the most primitive tribes left on the earth, and they are one of the most unreached people groups left on the earth. I heard a missionary say it like this recently, that there are no easy people groups left. So if we are going to go and reclaim the nations, how are we going to do that? It's going to cost it's going to cost. I'm not telling you that you have to make that choice. I'm telling you that John Allen Cho from the earliest time would say, this is the people I am called to give my life for. If you read his journals, he would say, I, it is absolutely fine with me to be killed on the shore of that land if there's a chance they might hear the name of Jesus. And do you know how he died? He got out of his boat as they were flinging arrows in him and he started shouting, Jesus loves you. And the world is looking at that as the most foolish thing he could do. But God is looking at that and saying, now these people have heard the name of my son. Watch what I'm going to do. And when we get to heaven, the whole, all of us are going to sit there and we're going to give the biggest standing ovation to this young guy, this millennial who people discounted. The news is saying he lost his mind. I read a headline like that. I said, what are you even doing commenting on this? You don't even know the Bible. This is ridiculous. This man is a hero. Why is he a hero? Because he died? Not necessarily, but he's a hero because he burned the way that God's heart burns. For the nations to come to know him, for the people, for your neighbor to come to know him. 
that's what this war is all about. See, the things that you're struggling with today are because the Lord knows there's people he's going to put in your path that you're going to get to turn back to him in one way or another. And so all the crap that you're going through, sorry to be crass, but all the stuff that you're going through is to hold you down so that you can't do that. Why? Because those gods are going to die like men and they don't want to do that. And Jesus, they heard it out of his own mouth in Matthew 24, 14. All the people are going to know and then the end will come. What if the thing that you're dealing with right now is because maybe it's a business that you feel like you're called to start. Maybe it's a ministry. I don't know. But what if what you're going through right now is because on the other side of your breakthrough, you're going to have the resources to give to people like John Allen Cho? What if it has nothing about you going at all? See, we all get to play a part in this, right? We can pray. We can give. We can go. We can raise up a new generation that will go. What if the children sitting in your home right now are going to have children who are going to go? And so all the struggle that you're having is about getting them to where they need to be so that their kids can get to where they need to be so they can have the strength of John Allen Cho to say, listen, my life is nothing if I can't spend it on Jesus. It's powerful and it's real. We all have a purpose, and we all have a part to play in what God is doing. And I'm not going to suggest to you that your part absolutely has to be going. The Lord gets to decide. We've been talking about this the last several weeks. Jesus is the head. He assigns everything. But he has a plan with what he's doing in you. And see, the resistance that you're feeling, some of it is about you getting to the other side of that plan so you can graduate to the next plan that he has so that you can play this part in this big picture that goes back to Genesis 11. Life is not about you, friend. It sure as heck isn't about me either. But I want to know that I did everything the Lord asked me to do so that whatever part I'm supposed to play isn't held up because of my disobedience. So you have an opportunity today. In fact, one of the words we got um, at our pre-service prayer was that the Lord is going to give some of you guys unique opportunities to give. And I thought, man, that is such a good word because in this next month, the word is about this particular month. So if you bump into somebody and you hear about something and you're like, something stirs in you, give something to them. That's a way that you sow into that. It could be 10 bucks. I don't know how much you have in your pocket, but don't miss that opportunity to give because when we give, we're furthering the cause of Jesus. I was telling Grant after this whole thing that happened with these Northern Sinhalese people, I said, listen, I don't even care if we don't get as much gifts at Christmas time. We got to give a lot to the nations because this is what God is about. I'm like, hey, kids, you get toys all the time, but these people, they don't even know Jesus. And I'm just telling you, someday, fairly soon, we're going to hear of Northern Sinhalese people who came to know the Lord. Because the blood of the martyr, the Bible says, it's a seed. Do you know what? They buried him on their beach. And it is really sad for his family, and they want his body back. But you know what? I'm like, oh, Lord, they did not even know. They planted in their own ground. They planted in their own ground the beginning of a harvest. I just get chills when I think about it. There is a war in the people of God. The war is about our mission to bring the world to him. I want to tell you about an encounter that I had with God a few years ago, um, and it was at a Voice of the Apostles conference, actually, which is why we're always telling you guys, come to Voice of the Apostles. In fact, hey, now's a good time because it's happening in October, um, so you have plenty of time to save. So if you're interested in going to an amazing conference that will change your life, um, Voice of the Apostles, you can look it up online on Global Awakenings website, but it's all the best. Not the best. They're all best, you know. 
all the, the speakers that are awesome, some speakers that are awesome, I don't know how to say that without offending anybody, but I love them. And, um, and so it's a great conference, but we were at an impartation time of that conference, and um, the way they do it is they say, if the Holy Spirit's moving in you, then come up to the front, because there's so many people, so they want to like leave opportunity for that. And I could feel the Holy Spirit. My hands were hot. They were shaking. I was clearly having the Holy Spirit resting on me, but I was feeling a little insecure, like it wasn't as dramatic as the people who can't walk, you know? And right in front of me, the girl in front of me just like gets laid out by the Lord, and I'm like, well, she needs to go up to the front. She can't even walk. So the, her, me and this other woman kind of grab her and help her get her up to to the front and about the time we get up there the Lord is like bam on me and I had about I don't know an hour plus encounter with the Lord and I'm not going to go into all of it now for the sake of time but what happened there's a part of it that I really feel like the Lord's been bringing back to me recently to share um, with you guys because I feel like it's a prophetic word not just for me but for all of us but what happened pre previous to what I'm about to share was that the Lord had showed me some of the um, really big things the enemy had done to try to stop me in my life and they were bad they were hurtful most of you guys know those stories. And so um, so the next part of this encounter, the Lord showed me I was sitting at a table, and I was like the size of a Lego at your dining room table just for scale, okay? I felt like me, but the table was just so enormous and vast, and these giant hands were preparing this table. They were putting plates on there. They were putting food on the plates. They were preparing it. And behind me was the Lord, and he was just completely dwarfing me in all, as if I was a Lego. I mean, it's just so, so big. And in front of me, in the distance, was a demonic army, and they were just doing what demons do, and it was weird. And they were out there, and they were scheming, and they were coming up with new ideas to hurt me. And as I began to realize that's what they were coming up with, I heard the Lord behind me start laughing, like belly laughing, like the kind of laughing that you can't hold yourself together. And he is just hysterically laughing watching this army in front of me. And I was kind of like, this feels strange, Lord. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he leaned down, and through his laughter, he said, look at how hard they're trying to stop you. And he's just like, ha, ha, just cracking up. I can't even try to replicate it. And he said, when you get to heaven with me, we are going to laugh for so long about all the things the enemy tried to do to keep you back. And I share that with you because it's not unique to me. That is exactly God's posture for you. Look at all those things the enemy's tried to do to keep you back. And it makes God laugh. Not because he's insensitive to you, because he's not. He is very aware, and he, is, he mourns with those who mourns, and he hurts with you in that. But he's also big enough to see how futile those attempts are if you can see how big he is. Some of you guys know a little over a year ago, I was actually teaching a class on open heaven prayer, which is so ironic, and left that class and couldn't breathe and had um, bilateral pulmonary embolisms in my lungs, blood clots in my lungs, if you're not familiar. And by the grace of God, it, it got caught before it got really bad. I probably would have tried to go to sleep, and I don't think I would have woken up. And... Um, and so it was like really having a hard time breathing and whatnot, and we went to the emergency room, and do you know what I was hearing on the way to the emergency room? The Lord laughing. And it was weird, because I was hyperventilating. <laughs> Grant can attest, he was driving, and it hurt so bad to breathe. All I could breathe was like, just like the shallowest breath, because it hurt so bad, and I could hear the Lord, and I could see a picture of the Holy Spirit just rolling around on the ground. He thought it was so funny. And do you know what that became to me? It was a promise that I'm not going to be stopped by this. See, you're not going to be stopped by what's in front of you unless you want to be stopped by that. Let me just be really clear for a second. Like, God and Jesus, they're the most powerful force on the earth, but in fact, you are actually more powerful than them. 
not because you have inherent power, but because your power to choose is the one thing that they have to honor over their own power. Okay, that means that your ability to say, God, you can come in or God, I don't like you is the deciding factor of how he gets to be God in your life. We don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that we can hold God up, but we can. We can. And what the Lord wants us to know today is that all of this warfare that you're going through, and again, next week we're going to dive into the tools that he's given in our hands through Ephesians 6 to fight these battles. But today is about understanding what the war is really about. It's about understanding there's a much bigger picture at play here than what you're struggling with today, even though I don't want to diminish what you're struggling with one bit. Because here's the reality. When you get a picture of how big God is compared to what you're facing today, strength will rise up inside of you. Let me put it this way. Your situation will change when you understand how big God is. You don't need to have God change your situation. Wait a minute, Lord. I want you to rescue me. Wait a minute, Lord. I'm hurting. Come get me out of this. Wait a minute, Lord. I feel uncomfortable. Fix this, Jesus. And the Lord goes, oh, sweetheart, you know what? You fix this through me. You're not limited in any way by me. Let me say it again. Your situation is going to change when you understand how big God is, not because God changes your situation. He will change your situation. Let's just be real, right? He's going to come in. He's going to be God. And he does the most amazing things. And it's unique to each one of us. So what I felt like the Lord was saying for us this morning is there's an opportunity here for our awareness of God to grow. There's an opportunity he's presenting us this morning for us to say, Lord, I need you to present yourself as way bigger than what I'm looking at right now. This is the journey that I've been on for the last, I don't know, maybe eight years or so. And there's been moments where I've had to say to the Lord, you know what, at the end of the day, God, I don't trust you. I thought, I mean, I can say, I can confess I trust you, but if I'm being honest, I feel like you really wronged me back there. (laughs) I remember one encounter I had with the Lord, and I'll end with this, that I was... um, another voice of the, I guess it was, yeah, it was voice of the apostles, and um, got laid out on the, on the ground, and while I'm laying there, the Lord, I saw this staircase, and it was like old rock stairs, and the Lord reached his hand down from the top of the staircase, and he goes, come on up here, and I felt in my heart, oh, I'm not going up there, like that does not look safe. Anybody ever feel that way? And the Lord said to me, this authoritative, just father voice, and he said, have I not proven myself trustworthy to you yet? And I was like, ooh. (laughs) But it was such an amazing moment for me to come to, like, it's like a rock-bottom awareness, right? It's like, let me adjust my vantage point and be honest about what I'm actually struggling with in this moment. I said, Lord, you have proven yourself trustworthy, but I'm looking at these other things over here and saying, why haven't you been trustworthy about that yet? And so sometimes we have to go, all right, Lord, let me just be gut-level honest with you. This is where I'm at today, and I need you to show up and give me something, even if it's in my imagination, give me something to hold on to that I can use to fight this battle I'm fighting because sometimes I'm looking at the quarter, and it feels just so gosh darn big. It feels like I'm never going to get over this. It feels like I'm never going to get past this, whatever's happening in your body or what's happening in your mind or in your marriage or in your home or whatever. And the Lord is looking and going, listen, I might not fix it for you like in a lightning bolt moment, but I will strengthen you to a place where you will be so thankful that you fought that battle. You will go around telling everybody that it was worth it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open the front here for you. And what I felt like the Lord said, he said, I want you to invite everybody to have an encounter with me, and I want to be the one to tell them what they need. 
I said, well, you can do that, God. It's your church. (laughs) But here's the thing. When we come to the Lord and we say, God, I just need my awareness of you to grow, he will meet you. He's going to meet you. If you are willing, he is saying yes. In fact, even if you're not willing, he's still saying yes. Are we good with that? All right, so I'm going to pray, and um, we're going to turn on a little bit of music. Um, I'll turn it on, Grant. And I feel, I just feel the Lord so clearly right now. I feel him wanting you to know how special you are to him and how much he wants to meet you directly. And that's not just, that's, that's not an empty thing. That's like a legit, the Lord is waiting to meet with you. Okay, so Lord, we just come before you this morning. We come before you and we give you permission to come and touch our hearts, Lord. We give you permission to be so big to us, to dwarf us with your presence and to teach us how to acknowledge how big you are in comparison to what we're dealing with right now. And Holy Spirit, I trust you to do your thing. I trust you to lead and guide us and to take us to deeper places in you right now in Jesus' name. So if you need to come up here, if you need to lay down on your face, get on your knees, stand in the back, whatever you need to do, just take a moment and pursue this moment. Pursue asking the Lord to meet with you because I promise you he will.